Hi, this is Rosie Tillis and Rachel Hine, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for our yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with the experts in their respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. We are excited to announce the launch of our website, theresidentreview.com, and we invite you all to visit our website, again, theresidentreview.com, for episodes, scripts, resources, and more. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message about our sponsors. This is part of our Quick Kit series, which takes questions and answers directly from our old ACAPS in-service exams from the last five to eight years. It's a high-yield, quick review. So we'll start off by talking about the principles of flaps, and we'll talk about head and neck flaps, upper extremity, trunk, lower extremity, and miscellaneous flaps. All right. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> so first things first, we'll talk about the different types of flaps. There are Matheson and Nahai have five different categories of flaps. So a type one flap is defined as having one dominant pedicle. Examples of this include the TFL, the gastrocnemius, the vastus lateralis, and the rectus femoris. A type two flap has a dominant and a minor pedicle, and this includes the gracilis, the soleus, trapezius muscle, biceps femoris, adductor halysis, FDP, peroneus, semitendinous, and the temporalis. A type three flap has two dominant pedicles, and this includes the gluteus muscles, the rectus abdominis, the serratus, and the semimembranous. A type four flap is defined as having segmental vascular pedicles, and this includes the EHL, EDL, FHL, and FDL, sartorius, which is commonly tested, tibialis anterior, and the external oblique. And a type five flap has a dominant pedicle and segmental pedicles, and this is like the latissimus dorsi flap and the pectoralis flap. All right, next we'll talk about Z-plasties. We are tested on often. A Z-plasty is indicated for adjusting soft tissue contour, dispersing scars, and lengthening contractures. Remember, it's not indicated for preventing contractures. It is more of a treatment. We've been asked about that. To design a Z-plasty, you will draw the central limb parallel to the line of maximal tension, and subsequent limbs are drawn anywhere from 30 to 90 degrees from this. You need at least three incisions of equal length, two limbs and a central incision with transposition of the triangular flaps to create a new incision that lies perpendicular to the original central incision. We are often asked what angles create what percentage of gain in length. So if you have an angle of 30 degrees, your gain in length is 25%. 45 degrees is 50%. 60 degrees is 75%. 75 degrees is 100%. And 90 degrees is 125%. The W-plasty is another type of tissue rearrangement used for scars, and it's used for scars that cross relaxed tension lines, and they're indicated over concave or convex surfaces, decreases the contracture of a wound. Downsides to this is it has a longer OR time. You must remove a portion of the healthy tissue, which we've been tested on, and this can lead to increased tension and undermining. For post-operative flap monitoring, when we're talking about free tissue transfer, you can do differential temperature, external Doppler, and laser Doppler. Some other definitions that were sometimes tested on, a pre-laminated flap is an axial flap that is modified with the addition of various grafts, so skin, mucosa, cartilage, bone, recreating the missing tissues at the donor site prior to flap transfer. So if they ask you a question about adding cartilage into like a radial forearm flap for the creation, for the reconstruction of a nose, that's going to be pre-laminated. A prefabricated flap is created by transferring a vascular pedicle into an area of tissue that is ideal for transfer to induce angiogenesis from the pedicle into the tissue, which can then be harvested for transfer. All right, Rosie, take us through some head and neck. Talking about head and neck flaps. So first we'll talk about 
submental myocutaneous flap. The blood flow is from the facial artery. It's elevated below the level of the platysma and includes a submental artery and vein. And this can cover the lower and central thirds of the face or the inferior part of the upper third of the face. The artery runs with the belly of the digastric muscle in the submental myocutaneous flap. A temporal parietal fascial flap is supplied by the STA. It's good for reconstruction over tendons. Scalp reconstruction. So any exposed calvarium will, will necessitate a flap instead of a skin graft. A single stage reconstruction with free flap is preferred for patients that need postoperative radiation therapy. Large scalp advancement flaps should be left and allowed to heal. A rotational flap can cover about six centimeters, so you can perform relaxing incisions in the galea to increase your coverage. Tissue expansion can actually be used to cover about 50% of the scalp. And then once you are making these kind of back cuts and relaxing cuts on your rotational flaps, don't excise the dog ears because they will resolve over time. Moving on to some upper extremity flaps. The lateral arm flap is a fascia cutaneous flap for small to medium size, soft tissue defects of the hand, forearm, and elbow. It can provide a vascularized bone and sensate skin paddle. The dominant pedicle of the lateral arm flap is a posterior radial collateral artery. The septate perforators come off of the profunda brachia between the deltoid tubercle and the epicondyle. And it is supplied by the posterior brachial cutaneous nerve, which comes off of C5 through C6 and large amounts of bone can be harvested for this flap as well. The posterior radial collateral artery, which again is the dominant pedicle of the lateral arm flap is located between the lateral head of the triceps and the brachialis. The reverse lateral arm flap uses the radial recurrent artery, which can be turned to reach the posterior elbow defects. It can use about 12 by six centimeters of harvested tissue for forearm defects and you can primarily close it. The FCU flap is supplied by the ulnar recurrent artery. The medial arm flap is supplied by the superior ulnar collateral artery, and this is good for upper extremity coverage. It does have an unreliable blood supply, so it's not typically used. Posterior interosseous flap, the posterior interosseous artery is between the EDC and EDM. Uh, this can be pedicled for dorsal wrist and first web space coverage. This pedicle courses in the deep dorsal compartment, deep to the supinator, like we said, between ECU and EDM. It can be reversed based off of the anterior interosseous artery connections to the PIA. And like we said earlier, the anterior interosseous artery courses between the FDP and FD FPL. The radial forearm free flap, which most of us are familiar with, is supplied by the radial artery, which goes between the brachioradialis and FCR. The reverse radial forearm flap, um, the pedicle contains the venocomatons and the radial artery. It's a fascia cutaneous flap, and you can take an osseous segment if you need. Um, and FPL if you need. The osteocutaneous perforators come from the fasciocutaneous perforators of brachioradialis and FCR. The reverse radial forearm can cover dorsal hand or finger defects. If you need to harvest bone on the radial forearm free flap, then you will harvest the bone on the radial portion between brachioradialis and the pronator teres. Um, of note, you do need to perform an Allen's test prior to harvesting the radial artery and the radial forearm free flap. If the Allen's test is abnormal, do not harvest it. The brachioradialis flap is supplied by the radial recurrent artery and it is used for defects of the anterior elbow. The venous flow through flap is ideal for defects that are long or narrow on the hand. It usually does become congested in the first week, so that makes it difficult to monitor during the first week. Um, it has the same incidence of failure as conventional flaps but the ideal part is that you can take it with any nerve or tendon in any donor site and make a flow through.
So now we're going to move on to trunk. There's a lot of these. So we'll start with a trapezius muscle. This is typically good for posterior neck, and that's what we're asked on our exams. The superior part of the muscle is supplied by branches of the occipital artery. The middle or transverse part is supplied by the superficial cervical artery. And the inferior portion is supplied by the dorsal scapular artery. And we're often tested on these. The superficial cervical and dorsal cervical artery may have a common trunk called the transverse cervical artery, which is what we know as the blood supply to the trapezius muscle. The latissimus again is a type five flap. It's great for coverage of scalp defects, um, for lower back. If you do it in a reverse manner, it is good for chest wall reconstruction, particularly after radiation or osteonecrosis. And the blood supply to this is the thoracodorsal artery and vein. If you use it in a reverse manner, it's going to be a posterior inter intercostals. A periscapular flap is supplied by the circumflex scapular artery from the subscapular artery. It can be osteocutaneous and you can take latissimus, serratus, rib, um, it is insensate and provides the greatest degree of leeway in positioning the skin paddle in relation to the bony segment. You have about a three centimeter pedicle. And remember that you can take latissimus serratus and rib, but the trapezius is not supplied by the subscapular system, which we just talked about and which has been tested on. The serratus anterior flap is a skin and muscle flap. It can include iliac bone graft. It is a long pedicle and it can be functional with a, the long thoracic nerve. You must preserve four to five muscle slips to prevent scapular winging. It is an insensate flap based on the serratus artery via the subscapular artery. Remember that the triangular space is bordered by the triceps, the teres major, and the teres minor. This is important for periscapular flaps. The quadrangular space is defined by the humerus, triceps, teres major, and minor, and the axillary nerve and posterior humeral circumflex artery pass through that space. The SIEA flap or the Shaw flap is based on the superficial inferior epigastric artery. It's good for hand and forearm wounds. The pectoralis flap is based on the thoracocromial artery and vein. That is from the second part of the axillary artery. The external oblique flap is based off the intercostals as the main, although the deep circumflex iliac and iliolumbar are secondary vessels for the inferior half of the flap. The rectus abdominis muscle, again, like we said, is a type three flap with two dominant pedicles, the, the superficial inferior epigastric and in deep inferior epigastric artery. The omental flap, which we're commonly asked, is supplied by the right and left gastroepiploic arteries. It is often used for chest wall or mediastinal reconstruction. And in order to increase the length, you may base it on the right gastroepiploic only. The iliac crest flap is an osteocutaneous flap based on the deep circumflex artery. We're commonly tested on that. It can provide a six to 12 centimeter skin paddle and a large bone segment. It is insensate. And the deep circumflex iliac artery, remember, comes off of the external iliac artery. It travels between the transversalis and transverse abdominis muscles, supplies the internal oblique, and then travels through the transversalis fascia to supply the bone. The superior gluteal artery flap is based on the superior gluteal artery, which comes from the internal iliacs, which we've been tested on. It exits lateral and deep to the sacrum above the level of the piriformis and then courses through the gluteus maximus. The point of emergence is between the posterior superior iliac spine and apex of the greater trochanter. The superior and inferior gluteal arteries are separated by the piriformis. The superior gluteal artery has superficial and deep branches and the superficial system again supplies what we know as the S-gap flap of the skin, fat, and sometimes muscle. Remember that any kind of gluteal flap is a type three flap that includes two dominant pedicles, the superior and inferior gluteal artery. And for sacral decubitus ulcers, remember that rotation and advancement flaps have benefits to transposition flaps because they may be reused and readvanced in pressure sores. Finally, our good friend, the paraspinous flaps, those are also supplied by the posterior intercostal vessels.
Rosie, how about you take us through lower extremity? Love it. Some lower extremity flaps for you. Distal third defects of the lower extremity with bone exposure typically necessitate a free flap for reconstruction. So the sartorius is a type four flap, so it has multiple segmental pedicles from the SFA. It's used for groin reconstruction, typically after exposed femoral grafts. The groin flap is an axial pattern flap from the superficial circumflex iliac artery. It arises from the common or SFA. This flap is insensate. The pedicle pierces the fascia medial to the sartorius, so you can take scarpus fascia for a more reliable flap. The design of the groin flap is along the long axis parallel with the muscle and three centimeters inferior to the inguinal ligament. This is good for hand or wrist defects, and it does not reach the forearm or elbow. So if you have a forearm or elbow defect, consider the lateral arm flap. The gracilis is a type two muscle flap. It is applied by the medial femoral circumflex artery, and this enters the gracilis lateral to the muscle, so deep. The pedicle enters about eight centimeters below the pubic tubercle. It then courses between the adductor longus and the adductor brevis, immediately posterior to the adductor longus. And the distal third of skin does not receive sufficient blood supply for transfer. This is supplied by the obturator nerve, so you can have a functional muscle transfer with the gracilis. The TFL is a type 1 flap and is supplied by the ascending branch of the lateral femoral circumflex artery. The ALT is supplied by the third descending branch of the profunda femoris, which is the descending branch of the lateral circumflex artery. This originates immediately cauda to the adductor brevis muscle, pierces the adductor magnus, and then transverses between the rectus femoris and the vastus lateralis. It sends perforators through these muscles and sometimes through the intramuscular septum. It is innervated by the lateral cutaneous nerve of the thigh. The ALT is the first line of coverage for a variety of defects, including head and neck, calvarial, and multiple others. You can harvest up to 35 by 25 centimeters. It's centered on the axis between the ASIS and the patella. It can include the vastus lateralis for added bulk. And the vastus lateralis flap is supplied by the descending branch of the lateral femoral circumflex artery. The area of rotation for the vastus lateralis flap can provide coverage to the lower abdomen, groin, perineum, ischium, trochanter, and acetabular fossa. In order to use it for knee defects, you must reverse the vastus lateralis flap. The rectus femoris flap is supplied by the lateral femoral circumflex artery. And Harvest of this flap can cause a 15 degree extensor lag of the knee. It is innervated and a functional muscle transfer that can reach the xiphoid. The gastrocnemius is supplied by the medial and lateral sural arteries, respectively. Pedicle gastroc flaps can provide coverage for knee wounds. The soleus flap has multiple blood supplies. The main blood supply is the posterior tibial artery. It is also supplied by the uh, popliteal artery and the peroneal artery. The soleus flap is notably good for middle or lower third lower extremity reconstruction. The reverse sural artery flap is a distally based fasciocutaneous or adipofascial flap that is used for distal third lower extremity coverage. Perforators for the reverse sural artery flap come from the perineal artery, as well as the lesser saphenous vein and sural nerve. The medial condylar flap of the femur is good for scaphoid non-union or anytime you need a vascularized bone transfer. The vascular supply comes from the descending genicular artery. The medial sural artery perforator flap, the MSAP, the blood supply of this is the sural artery perforators, which arise from popliteal vessels. It is a fasciocutaneous flap used for head and neck reconstruction, as well as hand and lower extremity defects. The perforator for the MSAP is found along a line connecting the mid-popliteal area to the medial malleolus at the eight centimeter mark from the proximal end. 
The fibular free flap is based on the peroneal artery and bone can be taken with this flap except for six centimeters on the distal and proximal ends. The pedicle lies next to FHL in the deep posterior compartment of the leg. The skin paddle of a fibular free flap um, septic cutaneous perforators come from the posterior intramuscular septum from the peroneal artery. And you can take FHL with the flap for extra bulk. A propeller flap is based on the posterior tibial artery. If the propeller flap becomes congested, you can dissect it to the main source vessel and release any attachments, kinking. You may also derotate it and use it as a delay procedure as a last resort. The lateral calcaneal flap is an axial pattern flap based on the lateral calcaneal artery, which is a branch of the peroneal artery, and it is good for lateral distal third defects of the ankle. The medial plantar artery flap is based on the instep region, and it is supplied by the medial plantar artery and can be sensate with the medial plantar nerve. It can cover calcaneal defects. The medial plantar artery rises from the posterior tibial artery between the abductor hallucis and the flexor digitorum brevis. And you can reverse the medial plantar artery flap from based on the lateral plantar artery. All right. I know Rosie likes to do the miscellaneous portion, but I'm going to do that today. So <laughs> fun fact. So always, you always need to check a platelet count. If you're concerned for HIT, which stands for heparin induced thrombocytopenia with thrombosis, you'll see a decreased platelet count. You will suspect HIT if you have multiple days on heparin and then have continued flap issues like thrombosis. Rheologic factors associated with hematologic disorders like sickle cell can compromise perfusion. And so sludging of the blood cells is a risk for flap failure and thrombosis for stump neuroma desensitization. You want to perform vibration. You can also do massage tra or transcutaneous nerve stimulation. Sounds good <laughs> for leech use. So you'll use leech for venous congestion. You'll want to use antibiotic prophylaxis in the form of ciprofloxacin because 20 up to 20% of patients can get an infection with aeromonas hydrophilia, which is a gram negative. And of course, for complications of a flap, if you have venous congestion and you want to take it back to the operating room, if they have continued venous congestion, despite this, you can use leeches. You want to make sure the patients have adequate fluid resuscitation. And then you can also try things like nitroglycerin paste or hyperbarics. Thanks Thank for you. joining us. <laughs> Hope you got all that. <laughs> We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.